Hello listeners, and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you the most topical energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Svarsson. I'm joined today by my colleague Ola Vilnes, Montel's Nordic Chief Editor, and our guest today is Alexandra Munzer, Managing Director of Green Fact. A warm welcome to you, Alexandra. Hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I thought we could start today, Alexandra, about sort of discussing about Green Fact. You know, who, who are you and what do you do? Green Fact, we are a market information, market intelligence company for the green OTC market in general, but with a very special focus on guarantees of origin. Mm-hmm. If we could talk about the guarantees of origin market more generally, how, how large is this market? Who are the main actors involved? Who are the main sort of participants here? You have a market with a supply of uh, yearly 600 terawatt hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was in 2018, and you have uh, a market that is basically dominated by fundamental market players, so producers mm. of renewable energy on one hand side and uh, suppliers of green electricity on the other side. Mm. Mm. And then you have very special roles uh, of Norway and Germany, mm-hmm. because a huge chunk of the supply, 30%, Roughly 30% comes from Norwegian Hydro, yeah. and the Germans are the biggest consumers of, uh, of green energy. Of, yeah, of these guarantees of origin. So exactly. 600 terawatt hours, that's about equivalent to the annual power demand of Germany, maybe a little bit more? Yes, but Germany, they cancel, so meaning used uh, last year 100 terawatt hours. So that means, yeah, of course. This is for guarantees of origin. Guarantees of origin. I'm talking total total power demand. I mean, total power in the whole country. I think it's over 500, 500, so so this is the the total green market is equivalent to the you know to the total. Okay. Yes. In that sense. True. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um, If we could then move on to a little bit about prices, Alexandra, the prices of geos from Nordic Hydropower, uh, which is in if I understand it correctly, an industry benchmark, Mm -hmm. they spiked at more than uh, two euros last autumn, but Mm -hmm. um, have fallen heavenly this year. Why is that? (laughs) Yeah, why is that? Why were they so high in the first place? Maybe Mm. let's start from there. So we Mm. had uh, last year this exceptional dry and hot weather in the Nordics. So Nordics, as I mentioned, or Norwegian Hydro makes almost 30% of the certificate supply. Mm. And then you had this very dry summer and hydro reservoir levels and such, they were pretty low. So Mm. you sort of a shortage in supply. Of course, weather turned back to normal basically mm. this year. But actually, to be honest, we in Greenfield, we did not anticipate that it would go down that low. So we have now prices of below 30 cents for okay. the spot year. Mm-hmm. For the future, I mean, depends up to 80 cents. But mm. uh, for the spot, 27.5 or something. Mm. Why was the market or is the market so bearish this year? A couple of factors, what we could yeah, call the one-time factors mm. that came into play this year. First, we had France announcing their auctions mm. for supported renewable energy. The year before, we had the situation very similar to Germany. Mm. So they supported assets were not allowed to receive guarantees of origin, maybe triggered from the nice high prices that they saw last year. Mm. So they changed the, the legal framework a bit in France. So they started auctioning uh, supported guarantees of origin, bringing mm. 
every year into the market about 45 terawatt hours. Huge, huge amount. Which is, yeah. yeah. When you say supported, you mean the, 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 the ones that are already receiving subsidies? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because the idea in Germany, for instance, they have the so-called Doppelvermarktungsverbot, meaning if the taxpayer basically mm. already pays uh, for assets to, you know, to support them, mm. then they should not need to pay for the green as well. But then, sorry, I interrupted you, Alexandra. You were oh. talking about the development this year and the French French geos. I mean, the French auctions will come back to that, but that's been a main sort of downward pressure on market on yes, the prices. Yes, that was the I think that was the most important contributor to the bearish sentiment in the market this year. And a bit later, towards the end of the year, Serbia and Slovakia became full members of the AIB, so mm. Association of Issuing Bodies. That means they can now trade and sell their geos much yeah much easier they bring another 16 terawatt hours into the market wow okay yes <laughs> uh, without you know in france of course you can say there will be more and more demand in france because green suppliers green energy suppliers go more and more green default there are more and more green offerings in the country because they are very you know uh, climate conscious as well and it, this is green uh, shift is also growing in in france mm. if you go more mm. to the east uh, it's a question basically when they join the aib you can actually assume at least in the next years that they would more contribute on the supply side and not on the demand side okay so the demand is sort of inching up but maybe in Eastern Europe is not so. so no. What I've heard in, in the past is that you've had many had a lot of demand uh, over many years. Two-digit demand growth every year. Yes, ten uh, percentish. Um, yeah. And a lot is probably driven by the companies that want to portray themselves as renewable. So what you say in a way is that supply is reacting by new countries coming into the system. Yeah. So that makes it probably a bit difficult to, to estimate the balance. Very well, difficult to estimate yeah. the balance because not so much from the supply side, because from the supply yeah. side it's rather clear. So you have the natural growth of renewables mm. and renewable capacity. What else could happen? You have a new country joining the AIB and mm. we already have all countries with a big renewable supply in the AIB. Mm. So maybe another Eastern European country with five TBH joins. Okay, that's not a big, big thing, right? Or you can have a legal uh, something happening in the legal, legal framework as we saw in France there. Mm. So that's the supply side. You can, you know, make scenarios and quantify it. The demand side, of course, that's much more difficult. So you have the biggest demand driver is basically electricity suppliers switching to green default, meaning they, of course, mm. they sort of have the pressure from people like you and me. We want to be green. We want to have a low carbon footprint. So the green offerings become, you know, mm. uh, more and more throughout, you know, in the several countries. You have Austria being vast extent they are green mm. even in spain more and more green default suppliers then you can even see it in iceland or or in norway actually mm. that households like you and me we get more and more green electricity electricity suppliers they contribute the most to the demand side and then you have the businesses and they a couple of year, years back it was not significant at all but this is changing right now mm. because you do see particularly this RE100 organization calls for the Fortune 5000 companies mm. to be 100% green. Mm. And then they are also very transparent with what tools to achieve. Mm. And we're talking 
hear about scope two, you know, emissions and yeah, emissions from green electricity or from the procurement of electricity, let's mm. put it that way. Mm. Next year, we will see, um, according to our estimate, they will contribute from a demand side 60 terawatt hours mm-hmm. next year. The RE100 so companies, these companies. Just the are... RE100. There are mm. 207 companies. Mm. They are growing like five, like crazy, like five companies or such every mm. month. <laughs> and these are big sort of data companies, yeah. energy suppliers. I mean, you name it. These are household names mostly, aren't they? These yeah, companies. they are the big yeah. the Googles of the, of the world. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. exactly. They have a significant electricity demand mm. in Europe that makes 60 terawatt hours, 50, 60 next year. That's a tenth of the supply in the market. So this is becoming significant. When you had the price spike last year, for example, mm. do you see that uh, these kind of uh, companies uh, pull back from the market or are they very still there and, and willing to buy just to, to, to portray a greener that's, image? That's a good question. From the companies, I don't know, because you see it, basically you see the numbers of these RE100 companies still growing, growing every month. Yeah. You mm. don't see, you cannot quantify, okay, there is a stagnation or anything. Mm. But what we saw also talking with a lot of our clients in Germany, that there was a pullback, basically. Mm. Because if you're a green electricity supplier, some of them, you know, supplied, they switched because it was cheap. So they switched to green electricity in, let's say, end of 17 or in 2017 Mm. and supplied green electricity to their industry clients as well as to the household clients. Okay. Mm. Also, clients are sensitive. They want to be green. The industry, if it's getting pricey, they'll mm. think double. So some of them, because of the pressure from the industry clients, they switch back. So they gave the cheaper tariffs to the industry clients then. But as soon as the prices are down again, you know. Then they come back in. Yeah. You mentioned the RE100s. And one of the ways that they kind of procure or source their green energy is through power purchase agreement, BPAs. Do you, do you see that also as a big demand uh, driver for guarantees of origins to become green? It's a demand driver it's a way to become green ppas are yeah increasingly popular they don't make um, the biggest junk i would say when it comes to the demand in in the market but what the ppas definitely uh, do is take away basically the volumes from the otc market right okay of course we we do some (laughs) consultancy and report services for ppa parties and, Mm. and such as well we sort of need the price transparency also in the OTC markets. But mm. definitely, if you want to do a PPA, if it shall be a green PPA, then mm. you need to have the guarantees of origin mm. in what form ever. You know, if in the Netherlands, of course, you put a price on it because their guarantees of origin mm. are pricey above six euros, six, seven euros per megawatt hour. In the Nordics, maybe it comes on top. What, what are your expectations for next year, Alexandra, in terms of prices? For next year, I mean, since we are a market analysis company, we really have to look at the things that you, you can quantify. Mm. And as I said, the demand side is really tricky to quantify. There we really have to see how things will develop in the future if the energy intensive industry is coming in as a new demand driver, hopefully. Mm. But that's that. But if you just look at um, the fundamentals and the, the factors that you can quantify, Hmm. then we don't see a big difference to to this year. So Hmm. it could be that the prices still remain for the benchmark for Nordic Hydro rather low. But you have... Sub 30 or above 30 cents, you know? Well, we do have now, I think, future prices of 50, 60 cents. But Mm -hmm. we don't see... We think that this is probably, you know... 
this spread becomes more narrow mm, <laughs> between mm. the the spot and the the forward years. So next year probably it w would come down a bit. The forward will come down, but the, the spot forwards, come, come exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we don't see much support for the prices. But if you look at the historical data, growth of renewables and growth of demand that we saw in the past years, actually the demand side is growing a little bit faster than the supply side. So that could mean we really think that in the middle of this decade, we mm. could see just looking at the fundamentals uh, mm. that there might be support for the prices again and we would see it coming up. Mm. But that's, of course, excluding all one-time factors, so-called one-time factors and excluding you know, the demand from energy intensive industries demand from more and more corporates mm. that want to be green yeah and of course also the this market is very fragmented i mean you do you do yes. have of course the the the, the, belt, the, the nordic hydropower yeah. as, as a benchmark in a way but you also have a lot of products a lot of different prices exactly uh, dutch wind for example solar. exactly can you give us some, some explanation of the spread there in prices huge spread and what thanks for mentioning this actually what we see one of the trends we see is that even within a country there might be big spreads depending on the locations of the asset so if the location is close to an urban area Mm -hmm. say like next to Hamburg and mm. new uh, post-subsidy wind farm in Germany next to Hamburg or next to Amsterdam offshore nice offshore wind farm and the suppliers are able to market this asset specific electricity mm. you know as a really nice asset specific tariff and people they want to identify with renewable energy they want to contribute and already in the Netherlands we do see different prices for these kind of assets mm. there mm. so that might be um, that will come in the future that really depending on your marketing depending where the asset is you will see different prices and as you said in the Netherlands we do have prices now six euro thirty for wind, spot oh. wind mm. And yes, in Germany, next year, the year after next year, 2021, you will have post-subsidy assets coming into the system. So they mm. don't receive support from government anymore, but will be, you know, will be able to receive guarantees of origin. Mm. And what we expect is basically similar picture to what we see in the Netherlands now mm. in Germany, because mm. the Germans, they like to have their own mm. guarantees of origin, their domestic ones. And there's a willingness to pay for this local yeah. uh, green energy. And that's, yeah. you know, because it's quite substantially higher than, say, Nordic hydropower. It's you? now I, I heard of um, client of ours having solar assets, and he gets two to three euros per megawatt hour yeah. for the solar general mm. solar asset. Yeah. Is there also another factor coming in next year when some of the the first renewable assets that came online in Germany sort of twenty years ago, the feed-in tariff system is ending? Will that also boost supply of geos in Germany, or is that too simplistic of view? No, I mean that's of course the first thing that comes up your mind. Of course, there is a lot of, I mean, the country is producing two hundred terawatt hours renewables. Mm. If that all falls out the subsidy of course that there would be a lot but realistically it's much less because you have old assets not operational anymore and so forth mm. on average on a yearly average until 2030 you will see about four terawatt hours every year which mm. is negligible mm -hmm. when you compare it to the huge demand that of is course. basically there in Germany, the 100 terawatt hours right now. Mm, mm. So it's nothing. Mm. So actually having, owning one of these assets um, that is eligible for guarantees of origin in a nice area in, mm. in Germany, that's really 
really something nice yeah, <laughs> to absolutely, have. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But you, you mentioned the energy intensive industry earlier yeah. in Germany. I mean, they get a lot of their, their carbon costs compensated for. Do you see any change in that? And could that develop, maybe could that, you know, boost demand for, for guarantees of origin if they these these big companies want to be to be green? I mean, Germany is an indust- the industrial heartland of, of Europe still. So there's potential, potential is huge. The potential is huge, not only in Germany, also, of course, in the Nordics, where you have a lot of energy intensive industry. The problem is, of course, the B2C industry, the customer facing ones, mm. they care. They have the pressure from you and me, from the households, from the end uh, customers to, to become green, to become or to be carbon neutral and sustainable and all that. Then you have the B2C industry in Germany and wherever, basically, yeah, the, B, uh, yeah, the B2B that actually, but they deliver raw material, for instance, to the B2C industry. Mm. And in the end, the, the end consumer is, I mean, they get smarter. We get, just get smarter. We, we mm. understand, okay, that's direct emissions, that's indirect emissions. And at some point, the customer of the B2C industry will request their supply chain to be mm. green as well. And that will put the pressure on the, on the B2B industry and the energy-intensive industry. What do you think about the credibility for the market in that sense? I mean, if you have like uh, these kind of price developments, very bumpy ride that you had last year into this year, mm. uh, does it show that there is an immature market that no. it doesn't really... No, it is an uh, immature market. That's yeah. uh, just as it is. Mm-hmm. You have a market, low liquidity, low transparency, depending on... I mean, then you have a naturally heterogeneous market, so that means depending on the sub-market, the liquidity even varies and the price transparency varies. Mm. So it's really what this market needs, actually, some professional market players coming into yeah. the market, more transparency, increasing the liquidity. And mm. then what I believe we could also see much more stability when it comes to the price is not what we saw last year that, mm. you know, just buying. I mean, if you now go to the market and signal a buying interest for 500 gigawatt hours mm. that already i mean influences the prices quite a lot mm. just one deal basically mm. how do you then boost the the like liquidity or transparency how, how do you go about uh, achieving that green fact we mm. try to or we contribute to certain transparency in the market mm. then you do have price transparency coming from the auctions themselves you mm. see in france you can go log in see the uh, mm. auction results they are close to the OTC prices. Mm-hmm. You see the Italian auctions, the Croatians do have auctions. So basically there are more and more, you know, public prices available than we have price platforms, you know. Mm-hmm. This helps the price transparency. So you're not only depending on calling your broker, for instance, as it was three years back, mm-hmm. basically. But the liquidity, I mean, now we have really market participants very fundamentally, you know, the supply, uh, the electricity suppliers buying once year buying twice a year Mm. and the producers selling if they have to or if they if they Mm. can uh, achieve a good price but you don't have any you know traders Mm. or participants like this in the market Mm. is it the way then when you talk about the uh, this um, auctions some critics critics of the auctions have said that it is a way of uh, commoditizing the the, the geos that that is not the right way to do it that it is not a commodity i mean do you agree with that view uh, that you have to treat it more like a yeah, guarantees of origin that should have different 
prices according to its quality. If it's a commodity or not a commodity, mm. that's a, I mean, probably it's not a commodity, but we treat it as a commodity. Mm. But on the other hand side, if you go down to the, back to the roots of the guarantees of origin, it's never meant to be a support mechanism or anything. It was just there to give the consumer in the end a choice between mm. electricity products. Mm. With the opening liberalization of the electricity market, simply said nothing more than a tracking mechanism. That's still what it is, right? Mm. But prices mm. vary de because demand varies for different mm. products. It's just what it is. I mean, this week we saw Microsoft and Vattenfall uh, launch a, a platform to track the origin of power production on an hourly basis, mm. um, as opposed to, to yearly that, mm. that happens today. So how do you view this development? Is this an element of mm. the market becoming more professional mm. as, you, as you see it? Or, yeah. Uh, That yeah. is what exactly you ask for the what can you do to make the market more liquid if you sort of are more time sensitive basically if you requ uh, require from the electricity suppliers instead of you know disclosing their source of electricity once a year which is the rule now mm. you do mm. it like much let's say monthly so mm. you're much closer actually on the the power market and on the you know yeah so much mm. more sensitive when it comes to the time mm. that would of course increase the work for the suppliers that they don't want to do it because that would mean a lot of uh, administrational work but in the end it would be nice for the market because you have uh, increased liquidity also another benefit would be it might give them more credibility because mm. then you have um, yes a product that it's much more you know now you trade it absolutely independent of the physical electricity but if you link it a bit more it also gives a better you know feeling and a more credibility probably mm -hmm. for clients because this is part of some of the criticism of the geo system that it lacks that credibility because it's mm. not physically linked i mean i think there are all of correct me if i'm wrong but there are some moves within the, the the opposition party in norway to make inroads into this that's the proposal that will be put to parliament this winter mm. on on the norwegian labor party that it proposed to sort of limit norwegian exports of geos to the amount of uh, available transmission capacity Mm. Just to have a clear physical link, but it's a it's a controversial uh, proposal. I don't know if it will ever be approved. What do you think about such a proposal? I mean, surely you will take away a lot of a lot of uh, supply from the market, higher prices. Yeah. So that's all. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's why I, some people always ask me, yeah, what do you think if Norway leaves the market? Me personally, for me, for the market would be really nice. Then you have much higher prices. Uh, the market would be taken much more serious. So it, it's mm. not only a left-hand job by, uh, from some people you know, that actually mainly trade power and then on a Friday afternoon they buy some geos. Mm. Then there is some value in the market, of course. Mm. But what the, actually the guarantees of origin market needs on a European level is just to have much more uniform laws and regulations. They should mm. not, the countries, they should not be allowed actually to do all their special mm. thing. It's not good for the liquidity. Mm. It's not good for transparency that just makes a system that is already abstract mm. and complicated even worse, in my opinion. A, a particular thing in the Norwegian debate is, of course, that the, uh, the likes of Norsk Hydro and Alcoa, who is the mm. big aluminium producers, they mm. do not buy geos to, to document their, their mm. consumption. They just uh, refer to the national production mix. Yeah, that's, that's a mix, like a like, like, like out in a way. And, and mm. but I heard some people criticize that that is not really possible anymore during uh, according to international standards. I mean, do you? No, I mean, I see, I see. I mean, of course, when the aluminum industry came to the North Iceland or Norway, they did it because of low power prices, mm. and all of a sudden they have to pay if they want to be green. Mm. But that's just the rule. 
So if they want to make the claim, so what you're buying with the guarantee of origin is that you're allowed to make the claim that mm. you're sourcing green electricity. That's mm. the European no, law. Mm. That's the rule. Absolutely. So. I sense a feeling for, for, for a call for more professionalism, more kind of more regulatory kind of standardization uh, as well. well. So that, that's the dream world here, sort Alexander. The EU Clean Energy Package sorted some things out, didn't it? And, and you got some more clearances. Of yeah, I don't know. It depends if you're a very optimistic, realistic or pessimistic person. You can read a lot into this Renewable Energy yeah. Directive yeah. also when it comes to guarantees of origin. I personally don't or we in the... In Greenfield, we don't see much big difference for guarantees of origin market than what we had mm. or what we have now. Mm. Still, one maybe a bit of a problem is that many or the countries they are still allowed to make some of their own decisions. You know, mm. do we want to to auction guarantees of origin or not? Do we want to mm. give them to subsidized assets or not? So there is a lot of you know what the countries can still decide by themselves so there is a lot of wiggle room which okay. makes this market overly complex i would say so there should be actually more standardization that's what we were hoping for actually a more rigorous framework there in which they can operate it makes it much simpler for everyone yeah yeah perfect alessandra thank you very much for, for joining the montel weekly podcast this week and thank thanks you to, and thanks to to you all of as well for your insights Keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you and goodbye. Oh.